As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Breaking news tonight attorneys for the former White House counsel Don McGahn have asked a federal judge to deny a House Judiciary Committee request to enforce a subpoena for his testimony. So we're going to bring you all of the latest developments coming from earlier today with the impeachment inquiry in the House of Representatives, which is still continuing despite the House being on recess. We'll dive into all of the specifics, where we are on the timetable, and what it means for Republicans in the Senate. Uh, with me for the hour, Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy, and Michael Steele, a Republican strategist and a partner at Hamilton Place Strategies. He's the former press secretary to John Boehner and a senior advisor to Jeb Bush's 2016 presidential campaign. All of that, plus Mark Zuckerberg. What's he up to? Facebook ready to take on the U.S. government? Let's begin the latest on the impeachment inquiry. We began today with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who, by the way, is traveling overseas this week. He rejected the House uh, panel's plan to... uh, on subpoenas for a host of different State Department officials. He said that he was, quote-unquote, concerned about portions of the request for information from the State Department and its employees. He said that the House Committee, which is investigating into the Ukraine affair, is appearing to try to, quote, intimidate, bully, and treat improperly the distinguished professionals of the Department of State. Let me be clear, Secretary Pompeo writes, I will not tolerate such tactics, and I will use all means at my disposal to prevent and expose any attempts to intimidate the dedicated professionals whom I am proud to lead and serve alongside at the Department of State. That's what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo wrote back to the House uh, Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, which is investigating throughout the recess into the Ukrainian affair. So that's where we're going to start things off, this dynamic between the State Department and now the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. My guests are Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama ally and aide and principal of New Day Strategy, and Michael Steele, Republican strategist and partner at Hamilton Place Strategies. I mean, they wanted uh, Michael Steele. They the, the, the Dems in the House wanted for State Department officials to testify like two days from now, uh, and, and Pompeo is saying, "Hey, wait a minute. Let, right. Let's let's hold the phone. Let's you know 
let, let's let's put let's not put the cart before the horse here. Yeah, I mean, for a variety of reasons, House Democrats want to move very quickly in this impeachment inquiry. They know that voters start voting in Iowa and New Hampshire shortly after the beginning of the year. They want to wrap this up ideally in the month of November. But what they're running into is the stone wall that the Trump administration has constructed again and again and again when confronted with requests from Congress. They're going to have to fight every step of the way for every scrap of information. And that's just going to they will probably prevail on a lot of it, but it will take time. So so, so Roger Fisk, a, a longtime Democratic strategist, the the House Committees on Foreign Affairs, Oversight and Intelligence. So this is three different committees who have issued the subpoenas to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. They wrote in a letter, quote, your failure or refusal to comply with the subpoena shall constitute evidence of obstruction of the House impeachment Inquiry. So they're saying they might hold them in 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 uh, in, in obstruction of justice. But are they are, are they really going to go that far? <clears throat> First off, thanks so much for having me. Of um, and it's great to be here with Michael. Uh, I can imagine that the the initial concern for Secretary Pompeo when he hears when he writes that uh, demeaning, bullying, intimidating. Uh, that he has a problem with that is normally the job of the gentleman that he works for. So that's that's where the bullying and the intimidating and the demeaning traditionally comes from in the Trump administration. Michael's right in that in the end, the the the, the information will come to light. I mean, I, I hate to use a cliche from Shakespeare, but the truth will out e- either directly or indirectly. What this crew doesn't seem to understand is every time that they obfuscate and they try to hide information, it will come out one way or another. It's very, it's, it's very interesting to listen, listen to them lament the uh, presence of leaks when at the same time they're turning around and trying to stifle whistleblowers. And if you, if you create a climate where whistleblowers don't feel like the process works, then the only other place for whistleblowers to go is leaks. So these folks need to decide if they're going to play this down the line and play this by the rules, or if they're just going to drag their feet and push this on into next year. No one knows how this can play out. Um, But I do agree with Michael's earlier point that it's probably in the Democrats' interest to get this done relatively quickly. By the end of the Um, year. But I think that rams up against kind of structural realities and some of the tools that the president has to play in terms of delay. So we know that, that, uh, that Secretary Pompeo was on the Ukraine call in question uh, over the summer, but we, but I, I'm not. We know Rudy Giuliani's wrapped up in all this, but I'm not sure what they would want from from State Department officials. I mean, what are they going after by by meeting with them? Because I, I mean, to, to you know, I mean. To some extent, a lot of these career folks at the State Department, they don't want to be wrapped up in this. My assumption is that their inquiry on specifically on the State Department employees is whether there is a new, separate, more secure system for storing records of certain phone calls that used to be used for security reasons and right. is now being used for political reasons. And they think that state may be involved somehow in that process. That's my speculation. Were the other were the other calls like the Australian right. Prime Minister Scott Morrison would, would be housed on? And I think what they're what they're trying to do is build a public case for why what the president did is so far out of the norm, why it constitutes right. corruption, and that's an important part of this because while the polls are starting to flip at the top line, people supporting the impeachment inquiry. He still retains near 90 percent support among Republican voters. And until and unless that changes, no matter what the House does, 
They are not going anywhere in the Senate. Roger, let me play for you, switching gears on the other big development today. So we actually heard today. Did you guys follow this? We heard today for the first time, really, from Ukraine President Zelensky following all of the latest developments. And he was asked point blank if he ever met with President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, uh, even though that summary phone call, the summary transcript of the July phone call quotes Zelensky as telling President Trump that he was aware of Giuliani's efforts to uncover information about Joe Biden. So Zelensky was asked about this in Kiev, Ukraine, and, and take a listen to his answer. Here he is. I'd like to tell you that I never feel pressure. I have lots of people who would like to put pressure on me here and abroad, but I'm the president of an independent Ukraine, and I'd like to think, and my actions suggest, no one can put pressure on me. So Zelensky's saying, I don't really know what he's saying there through the... (laughs) He's saying, I'm untouchable, I guess. Of course, it's what any leader would say, right? right. It's not going to say, well, I'm just... Well, our leader said he was waiting to be told what to do from Saudi Arabia, but most leaders don't do things like that. Let me play for you, Roger, now what Rudy Giuliani had to say about whether or not he's going to testify before the House uh, Intel Committee. Here's Rudy Giuliani. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm weighing the alternatives. I'll kind of like go through it. I'll get all my evidence together. I'll get my charts... I don't know if they let me uh, use videotapes and tape recordings that I have. There was Giuliani last night on Fox News on Monday night. So the comparison that I can make is that his style, and we've been really studying, I mean, because this this is obviously a performative style that he's doing. It reminds me of Roger Stone in a way, that he wants to have this circus show so that when he, if, if he decides to testify, it would be the Corey Lewandowski show that we saw last week when Lewandowski testified. No? It's very. This is somewhat off topic, but I feel compelled to say it. It's very interesting to me when we talk about the Michael Browns and the Eric Garners of the world. The conservative response is like, well, just obey, obey the law. Do what law enforcement tells you. And then when, it, when, it, when it's someone like Giuliani or a couple months ago with Hope Hicks and she was weighing her options, it's all just a buffet. No longer is it the law. No longer is it that you should just listen to the rule of law and, 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 and abide by it. It's a series of options. So that, to me, is is just a, a trend that pops up in these situations over and over. You know, Rudy's, uh, I think, one of the breaches that's most interesting, because it's always kind of the sub-narratives that are always kind of a little more juicy, is I think you are going to see a, a widening chasm between the State Department and the way the former mayor of New York City portrays his yep. role. He is trying, all of a sudden... To portray this as if he was tasked, as if somehow in the constellation of the State Department there wasn't someone who could go out there and have conversations with the Ukraine. And so I don't, I don't hear a lot of uh, people having his back on the State Department end of that. And, and Rudy, to me, seems a little bit unhinged. It's odd that you would wave your phone and say, come get it. It's all right here. And then when people say, all right, let's have your phone, he's like, whoa, I've got options I need to review here. Yeah, I, I think he's in full Tasmanian devil mode. I think that it is inevitable that he's going to wind up testifying, and I think it's going to require a really strong chairman and a really intelligent, well-prepared committee to get factual information out of him. All right, coming up, we're going to dive into the polls, which seem to be moving toward more favorably of disapproval of the president's actions on Ukraine. Plus, what does it mean for Republicans in the Senate? Panel stays Roger Fisk, Michael Steele. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeart Radio and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. So much to get through, folks. I mean, this impeachment inquiry is just everybody scrambling, trying to figure out what does it mean for policy? What does it mean for USMCA, China? Oh, yeah. Remember that? China. There, uh, Lue Hua is coming into town next week. We're still keeping tabs on that. But uh, let's sort through what Americans are saying, because finally, finally, we've got some polls to forget about what all these lawmakers think and, and what Americans think about this. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guests are Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime uh, aide to President Obama and principal of New Day Strategy. Michael Steele's here as well, Republican strategist. He's a partner at Hamilton Place Strategies. He's the former press secretary to John Boehner. When's John Boehner coming on? Anytime now. All right, cool. So we'll talk pot with him. We'll talk marijuana. He's always talking marijuana. Senior advisor to Jeb Bush's 2016 presidential campaign. But seriously, he is invited. Um, all right, the polls on impeachment. We talked about the latest, what's going on today with impeachment and the State Department and everything. The CNBC All-America Economic Survey found 47% opposing impeachment hearings and 44% approving that difference is well within the poll's 3.5% margin of error. Now, this is an economic survey, which it's 800 Americans nationwide conducted last week. It is a significant shift where fewer Americans are opposed to impeachment, but it still suggests that, you know, it's – I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, anyway, it's up for grabs. Yeah, it's not – impeachment is intrinsically unpopular. Oversight is popular. Impeachment is intrinsically unpopular. It has the feel of overturning the will of the people, overturning a democratically elected president. And so there's always going to be a lot of reluctance. I think the thing that Democrats are doing better now is – and facts are doing this for them to a certain extent – is making the case for why the president needs to be removed rather than simply waiting for the public to move and hoping to capitalize on that. All right, Roger. Let's look at this CBS poll because more than half of Americans, according to CBS, and an overwhelming number of Democrats say they approve of the fact that Congress has opened an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Notice what they did there, by the way. I mean, these are all different questions. They're saying, do you support oversight? Do you support an impeachment inquiry? Do you, it's it's all, in a way, different types of questions. But as the inqu- inquiry begins, according to CBS, there is no national consensus on how to assess the president's actions. That's what I find very interesting because – The impeachment inquiry into President Trump amongst Republicans, according to the CBS poll, 23 percent of Republicans approve of it and 77 percent of Republicans disapprove of the impeachment inquiry, Roger. So Republicans are still largely behind the president. Yeah, that's not a surprise uh, to me. There's a couple things about it. One – The challenge for the president's team for the Mueller investigation was to take a complex narrative and simplify it. Their challenge here is the reverse. They need to take a simple narrative and make it complicated. And I was on TV this afternoon with a spokesperson from the current occupant of the White House's campaign. And that's what she immediately tried to do because I laid out this is a relatively digestible story that's being told here in the Ukrainian situation, and then she wanted to throw all this other kind of stuff in there to make it this kind of tornado of things, when in fact it's actually quite simple. So part of the part of the polling, I think, is moving because it is bite-sized and it is digestible. I think another part of the polling is probably 
somewhat of the less ideological people who are just exhausted by the fire hose of conspiracy and vitriol that is the president of the United That's States. That's what I want to focus on. Elaborate right. so, on that. And then, and, then the, and then to speak about the Republican side of it a little bit, I don't think anyone's under illusions. And say you even have some spasm of conscience in the, in the Republican con- caucus of the Senate, which is, I think we can all agree, a, a steep climb at this point. I do think in the long run that it is the ultimate value of that exercise will be that the Tom Cottons and the Marco Rubios of the world are going to need to step up and, you know, go thumbs up or thumbs down, and they're going to have to wear that and explain it for the rest of their lives. That's my initial thinking on it. uh, Michael, play it long term because uh, that's interesting. I mean, because you hear that from, from from, from Democrats over the past couple of days is this is this this moral issue for Senate Republicans, the 20 Republicans who would have to get behind them. But I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks today's scandal is yesterday's right. you I mean, know, the, tabloid the, story. Well, the, 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 the pace of the news cycle in the Trump era is relentless, is relentless. Tell me about it. And it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably I'm sorry to tell you, it's probably not changing. Yeah, I don't think and it's so changing either I at think all. One of the one of the reasons that I question House Democrat strategy of trying to wrap this up in November of 2019 is, you know, two weeks ago we were worried about a Sharpie hurricane in Alabama. Three weeks ago we were Forgot talking about, about buying green, uh, Greenland. You know, what? Where? If you if you wrap <laughs> this up, made Roger laugh, everybody. If you, if you have a vote, if you have a vote on an article of impeachment passing the House in November of 2019, the Senate accepts it. Big, perhaps does something trialish briefly, and then a motion to dismiss is almost immediately in order and would presumably pass, and it'll be done before Christmas of 2019. How many people are going to be thinking about that in November of 2020 when they are pulling the lever, deciding on the next president? I know this is going to sound really cliche because all right, so the bottom line is there's really no significant movement today on, on Republicans in the Senate moving away, and this motion motion to dismiss mm-hmm. is is now in the zeitgeist here in Washington, to quote my good buddy Tom Keene at Bloomberg. The zeitgeist is that McConnell would move quickly to a motion to dismiss and that this would all be wrapped up by the holidays in a big red shiny bow, I guess. But look, I mean – I don't mean to be cliche, Roger, but you mentioned this, and I want to I want to get your take on it about the exhaustion that uh, that folks who are in their car on their way home from work and they're plugged in and they're smart people, but this this chaos coming from Washington, this doesn't even feel like the impeachment of the 1990s, and maybe I'm way out on the reservation saying that. But it doesn't feel like the impeachment of the 1990s. It feels like a cable news uh, show. Well, it's not even Washington, to be very specific. I mean, last week, um, and Michael you know, was kind enough to walk us through some of the second-tier scandals of the last few weeks. But last week, with all that's going on in the world, with all that has yet to be done by the current occupant of the White House, the endless trade deals and the various things. I, yeah. I understand he's about to pull us out of the Louisiana Purchase, from what I just recently heard. He still found the t- find this, finds the time to take a swipe at a 16-year-old girl. And in the course of taking a swipe at a 16-year-old girl, actually is willing to peek around the drapes and reference mental health issues that she may or may not have. Now, so... To go directly back to your question, that person driving home, listening to that, uh, is that the, the, the idea that this we have sunk this low, that so, uh, an attack like that coming from the president 
barely raises an eyebrow is really, I think, gets to the exhaustion point where people are just want to get up in the morning and have a boring Eisenhower era president that maybe <laughs> maybe you like, maybe you don't like, maybe they're bland. We don't even know their kids' names. Like, let's just get back to like when the president did roads and wars and mildly controversial stuff, but like this wild kind of shrapnel of grievance that comes out of this individual on an hourly, if not minute-by-minute minute basis. President Bluff. A, has nothing to do with a, being president. He seems to think that that's what his job is, is to complain on Twitter. But B, it, 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 it shatters the idea of the chief executive of the country acting as some kind of unifying force and some kind of individual that can poke their head above the trees and look five and ten years down the road and, and, and share with the American people where they want to bring the country. Well, I think there's no doubt that there is outrage fatigue in the country. I think that people are exhausted. I think that we also need to remember when looking at all of this that the economy is still doing extremely well. And the president has yet to face a genuine test of presidential leadership in the sense that 9-11 or the decision to Charlottesville uh, kill pretty Bin bad. Laden – well, it wasn't 9-11. I mean, but Charlottesville was a pretty bad moment for the country. I don't feel that his response measured up to right. the moment necessarily. Neither do I. I don't think uh, anyone does. Yeah. Um, all right, coming up, we're going to talk policy. We're going to talk uh, uh, Facebook. Did you guys see this? Mark Zuckerberg is weighing in on all of the Warren world, break up big tech. What does he have to say about that? We'll dive into that. Panel stays, Roger Fisk, Michael Steele. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We got to talk about Mark Zuckerberg. Could you follow this? The Verge, the website TheVerge.com has an explosive bombshell report out today. They got the audio from a July company meeting, two company meetings in July where Mark Zuckerberg they got two hours of leaked audio, and Mark Zuckerberg rallied Facebook employees against critics, competitors, the U.S. government, and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Here they are, Facebook, in the midst of trying to write the, the course. You know, they were out the other week with, out to dinner with Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, and, and some other Democrats. He was at the White House the other week. Y they were trying to, to write the, the course of all of the – stuff, for lack of a better word, that has been going on with Facebook, 
you know, they, they got the $5 billion fine from the Federal Trade Commission over privacy issues. They set the terms of, of the agreement themselves. They settled a case with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And they got pretty good quarterly earnings on July 24th. So all of that is why this leaked audio is so baffling to many people here inside of the Beltway. And it's why we're so glad to have Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy here with me, and Michael Steele, Republican strategist, partner at Hamilton Place Strategies. All right, take a listen, Roger, to what Mark Zuckerberg had to say back in the July meeting about Senator Elizabeth Warren, now the Democratic presidential frontrunner, her efforts to break up big tech. Here he is. Like Elizabeth Warren, who thinks that the right answer is to break up the companies, um, you know, I mean, if she gets elected president, then I would, I would bet that we will have a legal challenge, and I would bet that we will win the legal challenge. Then, about uh, here's also what Mark uh, Mark Walker, Mark Zuckerberg had to say about Elizabeth Warren. Take a listen to this. Does that still suck for us? Yeah, I mean, I don't have to, you know, have a major lawsuit against our own government. I mean, that's not like the position that you want to be in when you're. You know, I mean, it's like we we care about our country and like want to work with our government to do good things. And um, but but look, at the end of the day, if someone's going to try to threaten something that existential, you go to the mat and you fight. You go to the mat and then you fight. Roger Fisk, this is explosive reporting by by TheVerge.com because it's almost a window into what Mark Zuckerberg actually thinks. Well. Earlier, we were talking about, you know, when the when you were quoting the president of the Ukraine, and I think he played a clip, and he said, I never felt pressured, et cetera. And I said, well, that's what a leader of a country does. And I think the same thing applies here. I don't think you're ever going to have a CEO, like if you th- look, think back to 100 years ago with the railroads, where people were like, you know what, we, we actually should be broken up. And so to me, it makes sense that he's sending this message internally because I'm sure it's a, uh, I'm sure it's a relatively genuine reflection of where he's at, you know, philosophically and things like that. The, the 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 juicier narrative is like who actually took it upon themselves to record this and release it and that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't I don't think that's any different than any other CEO worth their salt would say. Which of course no one's going to unilaterally proactively disarm. Yeah, I mean I I, I think this is. This is a reminder that for all the talk of breaking up big tech inside Washington, that the, the, they remain popular. Fa- people like using Facebook. They like being on it. They like the connections it brings to them. And we have a First Amendment in this country that is platform agnostic. You have a right to express yourself, and that's, that's protected by the Constitution, and that's not going to change. So Zuckerberg is probably right about his ability to survive this sort of attempt at regulation. Do you think it changes the calculus, Roger, from, from lawmakers and both parties up on Capitol Hill who are increasingly skeptical about the role big tech faces, uh, especially as there appears to be a new, regu- new regulations on the horizon for big tech? Roger. Well, it's 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 interesting because when I'm I'm very reluctant when we get into these kind of conversations, I'm reluctant to use kind of monolithic phrases because when we say big tech, the challenges um, and the potential vulnerabilities of a Twitter versus the that same host of vulnerabilities for a Google versus that same host of vulnerabilities for Facebook are three very very different situations with different ramifications in terms of like are they a, a editing are they a publishing platform etc. So I think it's best to just look at each situation kind of um, 
unto itself. Because when we use a broad term like big tech, I don't think it's doing justice to the for complexity Facebook. of the for Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for Facebook, I mean, Michael Steele, do you think that this, if the, these lawmakers, you know, they're increasingly skeptical of, of Facebook, Google, Amazon, and you hear comments like this, it, it, it's it's very different than what he was saying to lawmakers the other week. Sure. I don't I don't think it's necessarily surprising that the message, internal message to mem- folks at the company is going to be different than his message to uh, members on the Hill or people in the administration. And I think that there are are signs of a good faith effort to figure out how to address some of the people who abuse the platform, people who spread false information, people who spread hate speech. I don't think anyone wants to run a platform that is involved in that kind of activity. The important thing is figuring out a way to do it that respects our constitutional rights and allows people to continue to enjoy the service that Facebook offers if they want to. All right, coming up, much more from the panel. What's on their radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Cheryl Crow. Whatever happened to Cheryl Crow? Remember that song? Uh, That's one of my sister's favorite musical artists. Uh, I love Cheryl Crow. She's great. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guests are Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy, and Michael Steele, Republican strategist, partner at Hamilton Place Strategies. He's the former press guy to the former Speaker of the House, John Boehner. Remember him? John Boehner. Uh, what's on your radar, gentlemen? This is my favorite part of the show. You tell me something that's on your radar that we're not covering. We've talked about impeachment. We talked about Zuck. What's on your radar? I'm going to start with Michael Steele because I always feel like Roger <laughs> likes to have it marinate. He like gives me this look where he's like, yes, I'm going to say something that will make you uncomfortable and you might get in trouble for it. I'm like, ah. All right. Anyway, Michael Steele, go ahead. So tangentially related to impeachment, I'm wondering whether the Progress on an impeachment inquiry makes it more likely that we'll pass USMCA before the election. What do you think? I think it actually does. I think that one of the biggest arguments against Democrats right now that Republicans are making is that they're doing impeachment rather than working on the country's problems, rather than working together to address all these things. And I think passing USMCA on a bipartisan basis through the House and Senate would be really good for a lot of members and senators up for re-election. Smart politics for Speaker Pelosi to be able to say, hey, I'm impeaching you, but by the way – Here's the win. Wow. So it's like a, it's like a backhanded. Yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah. good politics for, for Senate Republicans who are potentially vulnerable. Do you, before we get to what's on your radar, do you agree with that, Roger? I can see the logic in it. Uh, one of the things that is waiting for USMCA as people try to get it, its moment in the sun is unfortunately waiting for it is its moment in the sun. For example, there's <laughs> there's 10 years of protections built into it for big pharma, for example, um, that d- does not reflect itself in in the uh, Canadian or uh, specifically the Canadian. It's about reimportation and things like that. So just getting to the point where it's put on the floor and debated, that could be where some of the real problems come up. Uh, because when you open the lid of that thing, there's going to be some narratives in there that are not just cut and dry job creating kind of things. All right. All right. Yeah, I, I, I think there's this working sense that impeachment provided some type of hurdle uh, on the floor to get floor time by the end of the year. But that's smart, Michael Steele, as well as Roger Fisk, to think, actually, if you're Speaker Pelosi and you're and you're trying to politic this thing, 
uh, there's there's a good chance that that you might want to say, hey, we're doing we're doing the the nation's business, we're getting business done, while we're also taking oversight into consideration. Do we know a timetable? Has she said anything? They're on rec- we're not going to hear much of. We're her in for, recess until yeah. October fifteenth. And the last the last comments from her on this was, I believe, to an, an, a public interview the other week where she said she wants to get to a yes. All right, so that's where we're at on USMCA. That's what's on Michael Steele's radar. Roger Fisk, what's on your radar? Nothing uh, that's going to turn over the cargo in your hold, unfortunately, Ugh. this time. <laughs> I always I like to, to get a, you know, I, I like to keep it interesting. Sometimes, it's like, something occurs to me right after you ask me. And then, <laughs> no, but there's, like, this sleeper narrative down in Florida, and maybe it relates to... Um, the kind of Trump-Russia thing, or maybe it doesn't, but there's a deputy sheriff who quit a few years ago named John Duggan, and then he became a hacker, and now he has popped up as having renounced his U.S. citizenship, and now he lives in Moscow. What? So, yeah, it's John Mark Duggan. It's the Palm Beach like County this- Sheriff's Office, and it is a wild and wacky story. Um, supposedly, he was involved in some of the efforts to get a, a dirt on the Seth Rich situation and a whole bunch of other things. This could just be kind of an outlier kind of thing, um, but it'll be interesting to watch as time goes on if the tentacles of this individual's specific story start to connect to other things that have been in the news for the last year or two. Oh, boy. All right. That's that's definitely on your radar. All right. Here's what's on my radar. Hong Kong. I mean, this has just been this story Hong Kong protesters, I'm reading from CNN, Hong Kong protesters hit the streets as China marks the 70 years of communist rule. Uh, The New York Times, Hong Kong police shoot a protester, 18 years old, with a live bullet for the first time. The lead from the New York Times, Hong Kong, a Hong Kong police officer on Tuesday shot a teenage demonstrator. Mm. The first time in months of protests that a live round was fired at a protester. The shooting capped an evening of violent protests escalating the territory's political crisis on the same day that the central government staged a huge military parade in Beijing to celebrate 70 years of communist rule. Wow, Michael Steele. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary situation, and there's been some interesting back and forth between the president's uh, celebration of this Chinese aniver- Chinese communist anniversary and a lot of Republicans on the Hill who are using it appropriately, in my view, as an opportunity to talk about Chinese repression and, and some of these tactics. Ian Bremmer, he's a political scientist author. Uh, he's also, of course, the president of the Eurasia Group. I've been glued to his Twitter feed on the issue of of what's going on in Hong Kong because he has these videos that he's tweeting out, and it's it's Roger. I mean, it's it's gripping. I mean, here, just think about it. Xi Jinping of China, President Xi Jinping, has this hold of power over China for so long, for the rest of his life, essentially, and he's celebrating communist rule and while that's going on there's there's these democratic lowercase d democratic protests happening in hong kong and they shot an 18 year old to think of the amount of resolve and character and strength that these folks have to have to go out into the streets with all the facial recognition software and everything else that's um been deployed around Asia, frankly, to to ensnare people like this. These are heroes. They should be embraced by the West. These are people that are fighting for rights that we have long since started to take for granted in this country. And we should be shoulder to shoulder with them. And we should be we should be seeing and hearing a lot more 
messaging about solidarity and free people ultimately gravitating towards the Western democratic experiment um, from the leaders of this country. And I just want to read a statement from uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who released a statement today saying, quote, on the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China, we should pause to recognize the many millions of lives lost under Chinese communist rule. It is darkly fitting that on the 70th anniversary of the PRC, its agents would be reduced to using force against protesters in Hong Kong who seek to preserve the basic personal freedoms. That's what's on my radar, and it should be on everybody's radar as well, that situation quickly unfolding. My thanks to Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. Also, my thanks to Michael Steele, Republican strategist, partner at Hamilton Place Strategies, former House or former press secretary to the House Speaker, John Boehner. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Bloomberg.com. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.